And so again, she caused him to go to sleep and she braided his hair into seven locks. And for good measure, they took spikes and pinned them to the planks of the floor. And then she said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he jumped up and pulled the planks of the floor right up and went out and took care of them. And so Delilah began to turn on the tears. Ah, oh, you've been deceiving me. You don't really love me. You've just been playing games with me. You don't really love me. You know, all this. You're just making a fool out of me. Tell me, Samson. And she began to press him daily, making it just miserable for him. So finally, Samson said, look, all my life I've been a Nazarite unto God. Oh, there it is. That was the secret of his strength. The word Nazarite is separated. All my life I've been separated unto God. The strength of Samson lay in his commitment in his life to God, which was done really before even he was born. For before Samson was ever born, the angel of the Lord, in announcing to his mother that she was to have a son, told her never to bring a razor to his head, never to allow him to have anything from the vine, wine, or anything else, because he was to be a Nazarite from his birth unto God, separated unto God from his birth. Now, in Numbers, in the sixth chapter, you have the law for the Nazarite, and there were many times when a person wanted to have a special dedication of his life to God for a period of time. And it's more or less as the traditional Lent period today where people, well, you know, they, they make sort of a commitment prior to Easter and sacrifice or give something up for the Lent period. Well, in Israel, they did the same kind of thing in a period and usually before their feast days, the holy days of their feast, they would take a vow and separate their lives unto God. And according to the sixth chapter of Numbers, if you wanted to separate your life and take the vows of a Nazarite, you were to bring no razor to your head, and you were not to drink any wine, any vinegar made from grapes in a strong drink coming from grapes. You were not to drink any nectar or grape juice, nor were you to eat any grapes themselves, nor raisins, nor anything that came from the grapevine. Now, the reason for that, I don't know, but it was just kind of a self-denial. I mean, raisins were one of the real delicacies in those days. They did not have canning processes or freezing of the food in all those days. So in the summertime, they would dry their fruits, and then all winter long, they would eat dried fruits. Or, you know, they could take and cook up the apricots with some water, and they'd have apricots but they did not have any canning processes. So the preserving process was always that of drying the fruit. So raisins were really a delicacy. It's something they, well, it was something they had always enjoyed. And, it, and it's sort of a denial in order to make this consecration unto God for a period of time. And then when you came to the end of that time that you have set for your consecration, then you shave all of your hair and then you bring it and offer it as a burnt offering unto God. It was just a sacrifice type of thing. And 
and it was a sacrifice. And in Numbers in the sixth chapter, it tells of the vows of the Nazarite. Now, his was not to be a separation for a period of time. It was to be a lifelong commitment and a lifelong separation of his life to God, a lifelong type of consecration or commitment. And that was the secret of his strength. I have been a Nazarite unto God, he says. I've been separated unto God, and therein his great strength did lie. That separation unto God, or that Nazarite vow, was indicated by his hair having never been cut. And so he tells her, I've been a Nazarite unto God, and there's never been a razor come to my head. If I would break that vow, if I would shave my head, the vow would be broken. It would be over. Then I would be just like any other man. He told her that all that was in his heart, he laid his heart open before her. And it's said that Delilah knew that this time he actually had laid his heart open. And he told her the truth. And so she went out, she went out to the lords of the Philistines and she said, we've got him. And so they all gathered together. And again, she relaxed him so he could go to sleep. And you think, oh, that poor stupid oaf. You'd think that guy would know better. You know, after all she's done, everything she's said so far, he said, tie me with new green vines, tie me with new ropes, braid my hair. She's done the whole thing. He ought to know that she's going to do it. You'd think that he'd get out of there. And Paul said to Timothy, to flee youthful lust, which damns men's souls in perdition. Samson sort of bolstered by the victories of the past, having become self-confident over the past power, went to sleep. Now, you hear so often that Delilah cut off his hair. No, no, she didn't. She called a barber in, and while he was sleeping there on her lap, the barber shaved his head. And so she woke him up, and she said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he jumped up and he said, I'll shake myself as times before. And he knew not that the Lord had departed from him. Verse 20. As we move on in the Old Testament, we're going to come upon an interesting king by the name of Asa, who had, at the beginning of his reign, was facing a huge invading army of Ethiopians and Nubians. And he called upon the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel. And as he was coming back from victory over this huge army, the prophet of God came out to Asa and said, The Lord is with you while you'll be with him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And the Lord was with Samson as long as he kept that vow, even though he wasn't always doing the right thing, even though there was tremendous weakness in his own moral character, even though he was guilty of doing foolish things, yet the Lord didn't desert him until he deserted the Lord, until the vow was broken. But at this point, he had strayed so far that he didn't even know that the Lord had departed from him. Now, there is a spiritual kind of a blindness that afflicts people, especially if you are fooling around in the enemy's territory, trying to play around with sin, playing games on the enemy's field. And it is possible 
for you to stray from God and to get out, more or less, isolated and away from God, so caught up in your own activities that you're not aware of the fact that the anointing, that the power of God is no longer upon your life. Now, there are many people who assume because the anointing God is still upon their life that God must be pleased with all that they are doing. Not so. That is a wrong conclusion. God does not immediately lift his anointing from a person's life. That's his grace because they have failed or have faults, right? I heard so many people use the rational rationale but God still uses us. And so they take the fact that God is still using them as sort of God is approving of what we are doing. If God wasn't approving what we were doing, then he would take his anointing and take his power from our lives. That isn't always true. And that's a wrong rationale to take. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. But if you continue in the path that you're in, you're going to one day, you're going to place yourself where God's spirit is removed from your life. You won't know it maybe for a time. You'll still be going on in the same thing, but you'll not be seeing the effects and the results anymore. He was blind to his own spiritual state. It is possible to be self-deceived about your own spiritual state. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. And there are a lot of self-deluded people as regarding to their own spiritual conditions. Samson was blind to the truth about his own spiritual condition. He knew not that the Lord had departed from him, verse 20. But because the Lord had departed from him, he was weak, just like any other man. And this man who at one time had slain a thousand of the Philistines with the unlikely weapon of a jawbone of a donkey is now held down by just a few of them. As one brings a stick and gouges out his eyes, while others grab him and bind him with chains of brass. And they lead him off to Gaza to put him in the prison where he is now grinding. In those days, they had their mills with a giant millstone, some of them weighing several hundred pounds. And they would take these stones and lay them and carve into the stones little grooves around in a circle. And they would have a stone in the center of the circle with a hole that they had made in the top that would pivot around and around. And then they would have the giant round millstone that rolled around in this groove all the way around and a post going through it. And they would take an ox as a rule or a donkey and they would harness it to the post that the ox or donkey would just continue walking around and around in a circle as it would pull this millstone. And then the ladies would come and pour out their corn or their wheat or their barley into the little groove and as the millstone would roll over it, it would grind their wheat into flour. And this was usually the work of an ox or a donkey pushing this pole around to push the millstone around 
to grind the flour. Well, it now became the occupation of Samson. And so they put out his eyes. They bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. Verse 21. Now, I would like to suggest that this is perhaps one of the most colorful pictures of the effect of giving yourself over to unbridled lust, living in sin. Its ultimate effect upon you is blinding you to the truths of God, blinding you to the realities of God. Secondly, its effect is binding you by its power. And you find yourself in a situation, you're no longer able to get out, you're bound. You began, you began it as a lark. You began it as an excitement. You began it for thrills, for kicks. But in time, it gets its hold upon you. And now you continue to do it, although the kicks are no longer there. But you can't get rid of it. You can't quit it. And you find yourself bound by the power of sin. And then it becomes a grind. And you begin to hate yourself. You begin to hate what you're doing. But you have no way out. You can't escape from it. And you can't get into that grind and your life just becomes miserable. Your life becomes hopeless. And you see no sense in trying to go on. You're living in misery as it's beginning now to grind away at you. I know. I have been in that place in my own life. So Samson is an apt picture of the effects of sin, unbridled lust in a person's life. Howbeit, the scripture tells us, the hair of his head began to grow again after they shaved him. Verse 22. Now, here's where I see the marvelous grace and mercy of our God. Samson's blown it. And he had the potentials of greatness. He had the potential of delivering God's people out of the hands of their enemies. Samson had the potential of going down in the history book as one of the mightiest and most glorious of all the deliverers of Israel. His name could have been alongside David's and Samuel's, the marvelous deliverers of Israel, but he could not conquer his own passions, his own lust, and thus, there he is, blinded, bound, and grinding. Hmm, albeit, the hair on his head began to grow again. And therein is the gospel, because all of us have sinned. All of us have come short of the glory of God. All of us have failed God. All of us have found ourselves trapped, thinking that there's no way out. But God is gracious, and even though we have failed him, we will, he will not fail us, 
And even though we have forsaken him, if we will just, if we will just turn back to him, he will be merciful and gracious. Now, on a boring job, there's plenty of time to think, right? I mean, we've all had very boring jobs. And I can imagine Samson did a lot of thinking as he was pushing that post around and around and around. Thinking of what a fool he had been. Going back and reliving the mistakes and thinking, ah, if I'd only done this, if I'd only done that, if I'd stayed out of Sorek, if I'd only walked away from Delilah, if only, if I'd only. And living in those reflections of the past, man, once mighty and powerful, now shuffling with an uncertain gait because he can't even see where he's going anymore. Brought down to the bottom. But many times, God has to bring us to the bottom so we don't have any choice but to look up. And he began to look up. And I'm certain that as his hair began to grow again, he felt within his, within his heart, God, I'm going to renew my consecration. I'm going to renew my vow. But God, what can you do with me now? Lord, what? What I have and what's left here is yours. I'm going to give my life to you such as it is. Never can he achieve or attain what he could have, the full potential of his being. But, Lord, at least you can have what's left, this broken shell. So the Philistines were having a huge gala party. They had gathered in the temple of their god, the god Dagon. And people were on the roof, crowded around the place, and someone got the brilliant idea, hey, Let's bring that guy Samson in here that used to give us such a bad time. Bring him into the arena so we can see him shuffling around in his blinded condition. Let him stumble around and they'll trip him and, and all that. And, and so we can just have a big laugh at the clumsiness of him now that he cannot see. And so they hurried down into the prison and they brought Samson from the prison into the temple. And as he came in, the laughs and the hurrahs went up as the people began to mock him and jeer him and to make fun of him as he tried to make his way around the room in a strange place, not able to see. One would put his foot out in front of Samson and Samson would trip and fall and everybody would just roar with laughter and howl with laughter. That man who was such a nemesis is now so weakened and it just delighted them. And Samson said, Oh God, one more, just once more, God. All I ask is once more, let the anointing of your spirit come upon my life. David the psalmist, messing around, also lost that sense of God's spirit. After his sin with Bathsheba and after the death of his child, David repented, and his repentance is given to us in the 51st Psalm. And one of the penitent prayers of David in the 51st Psalm, 
when he is asking God to cleanse him, and according to God's mercy, blot out his transgression. One of the pertinent verses there, he said, is, and return your Holy Spirit unto me. Oh, God, again, let me sense your presence. Let me again sense your power. And this was Samson's prayer. Lord, once more, I want to know your power in my life. And Lord, I don't want to live. I have nothing to live for now. Let me die with the Philistines. This was his prayer to God. And he said to the young boy who was leading him around, Take me over to the pillars that hold this place up. And the little boy innocently led him over to the temp to the pillars that held up the temple. And he took hold in his right arm and in his left arm the two key pillars holding up the building. And he said, God, I want the Philistines to be avenged for the eyes that they put out. And by faith he began to pull and the Spirit of God came upon Samson, and he pulled those pillars together. The temple of the god Dagon fell with the Philistines, packed into it, and 3,000 of them were crushed to death. And Samson lay dead under the crushed Philistines. God's grace allowed him to once more experience the power of God, and he went out in the greatest victory of his life. And Jesus in the New Testament said something that was very interesting in regards to his disciples. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, it is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of man. Samson probably is a good illustration of this sort of allegory of Jesus. For God had chosen Samson to be the saving salt of Israel. But because of the weakness of his flesh, he lost his savor. And he ended up crushed beneath the Philistines. The sad story of Samson is being repeated, however, over and over as we see men with wasted potentials in life. God has endowed people with talents, abilities, and they waste them because of the weakness of their own flesh. They never achieve, they never attain that full glory and power that God wants their lives to be. Wasted potential is the story of so many people. The tragic biography, wasted. His life was wasted. He could have done so much for God. He could have been such a power for God's kingdom. He could have been so influential in bringing others to the Lord, but his life was wasted. He was destroyed by the weakness of his own flesh. Oh, God Almighty. Let that not be the story of my life. Father, empower us to keep your word. Embolden us to speak your truth. Be with us, Lord, at every turn, at every hardship. Be with us at all times. 
Father, you see all, you hear all, and you know all. Let your ways govern our every action and thought to the glory of the knowable God. Oh, my Father, Yahweh, may your grace and mercy rule my life. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.